Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church, and we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. If you would find in your listening sheet our sections of Job for today, in this week's reverse text, we have been working through a portion of Job chapter 2 and a portion of Job chapter 3, and we're going to read some of that together aloud now. And so if you would find that listed there, Job 2, 4 through 10, and chapter 3, 20 through 26, and if you would stand with me and we'll read it aloud. This then is the text for today. Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your power, only spare his life. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, and he took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Why is light given to him who suffers and life to the bitter of soul, who long for death, but there is none, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice greatly and exult when they find the grave? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? For my groaning comes at the sight of my food, and my cries pour out like water. For what I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet, and I am not at rest, but turmoil comes. May God bless the reading of his word. There's a bit of separation in today's text. We have two paths that we need to walk down. And both of these paths are necessary for the confrontation of the present evil that we can find in our own hearts and in our own lives. You see, we have two characters that we want to look at today, and we want to see and approach their interactions with God. We want to see how Satan walks up into God's presence and what he says, and, and the same of Job as Job comes into lament. What does he say and what does he speak before the Lord God above? And so we're going to work through both of these. We're going we're gonna to walk with Satan for a little bit. We're going to walk with Job for a little bit as the text calls us to. 
And so first, we'll look at Satan's reaction to God and how he was comfortable where he was, and then we'll look at Job's response to God and how he was pained, yet still grew in God's favor. So first, we'll look at Satan's response. In the first part of this passage, now we didn't read this aloud, but we've been reading it this week. You see in these first couple of verses of Job chapter 2, a, a similar thing that we heard in chapter one in this cosmic court where Satan comes in to meet with God. And in these first couple of verses, it's, it's, some of it's almost word for word exactly the same as what we saw in chapter one. And our eyes have this, this tendency to, to focus in on that which is exactly the same. And we get to wonder, why, why is chapter one the exact same as chapter two? And there's, there's a couple of reasons why that is. Now, one of those is it helps with the memorization of these stories as they're passed down through generations. But, but also, when, when things are so similar, where you're going to find that nugget of truth is going to be where there's something different. And so it's important to ask, in these two almost identical texts, what do we see that is different? So you remember the last time we saw um, God and Satan in chapter one, God offered up Job as this man of great faith who could withstand Satan's wiles. And, and Satan argues with God. He says, the only reason Job is faithful is because you've put this hedge of protection around him. Job is faithful to you because you have built this nice fence all the way around his family and all the way around his life, and this fence keeps everything nice and tidy. There's nothing that infringes upon Job's life. Everything is just as it should be. Satan said, if we take that away, it would be different. But in so many words, God tells Satan that he's wrong, and he allows Satan to test his evil theory. And so God steps in and lessens that fence of protection. God lets Satan's fingers get into Job's family. God lets Satan in a little bit closer to Job, and, and it's like the, the fence of protection was way out before, and now it has come way too close at this point. Satan won, I mean, in, in chapter one, Satan argues, Job is gonna curse you as soon as we begin to affect his wealth. And as soon as we begin to affect his children, he's going to curse you as soon as that fence is moved. But then we get to chapter 2, and we find that, of course, God was right and Satan was proven a fraud. Everything that God said in chapter 1 would be so was so, and everything that Satan set out to do was foiled. Satan was proven a fraud before God and his angels. And you might think Satan would come back with his tail between his legs and say, okay, God, you're right. Job didn't curse you. Job stayed strong. But that's not what happens. God has proven right, and as God has proven right, it only emboldens Satan. In fact, he, he grows more confident that he can take Job out. And instead of standing before the Lord in repentance, Satan comes back to God and says, well, of course this is the way it works out. You, you've won this round, but you made everything work in your favor. You moved the fence to where you wanted the fence, and you said everything exactly how you wanted to set it. You didn't really give me a chance to get to Job. I know it worked out for you here, but you know, if this would have happened, 
Or if that would have happened, I would have won. This, this is Satan's take on this. He has just been defeated, and he comes back and says, well, if this would have happened, or if that would have happened, I would have won this battle. And in fact, Satan even pushes it further and continues to challenge God. And it's easy for us to roll our eyes at Satan and say, well, of course, Satan's going to respond like this. But in reality, this is how most every one of us respond to God. Even in the church, when we begin to drift away from the word of God, we argue that it's all God's fault. It's, it's, it's God that, that caused this to happen. It's not our own fault. We won't own up to God's ways being higher than our ways. Our flesh won't admit that God knows what he's talking about. And instead, we argue with him. Instead of repentance, we, we, we stand up and we're emboldened in our argument. Well, if this would have happened or if that would have happened, then my way would have worked. That, 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 that's, one of, that's one of our normal refrains. We stand before God and say, well, if you would have listened to me and if you would have changed this, my plan would have worked. But let me assure you this morning, your plan is not going to work. Not in the long term. Only God's way works. And every time we tell God, well, if you would have done this different, or if that would have been different, or if this could have happened, or if that would have happened, then the results would have been different. When we stand before God in that way, we are the epitome of Satan. You see, all through the scriptures, we, we find this, this roadmap of life. We, we see a way of life forward. We see the, the way, the truth, and the life in Jesus Christ. And, and we are shown the ways of this world. And we are shown the way creation works in the pages of Scripture. We're, we're, we're taught what love is supposed to look like. But we push back and we challenge God on that. We're taught what marriage is supposed to look like and we challenge God on that. We, we're taught what leadership is supposed to look like and we challenge God on that. We, we, we hear from God that, that religion is taking care of the orphans and the widows and this is what it's supposed to look like and we push back on it. We see in scripture what our job is supposed to look like, what raising our kids is supposed to look like, what rest on the Sabbath is supposed to look like, what our relationships are supposed to look like, our stuff, our money. And then we hear all of these kinds of things in the pages of scripture and we look up and tell God, well, I'm gonna do things my way. That if you would change this or if you would change that, then my way is going to work just as good, if not better, than what you have laid out in the pages of scripture. And when we do life our way, it, it begins to crumble and, and cracks start to form. And as life begins to fall apart, instead of repenting and coming back to God, we look up to him and we say, well, if this would have, different, this would have been different, my way would have worked. Don't act like Satan. Be repentant. Be, be a repentant person. When, when it's obvious you have strayed away from the ways of God, when it's obvious you have taken steps away from Scripture, when you have been distant from the Lord, don't challenge Him, but fall before Him in repentance. You know, Satan's whole game here is to, to keep it going with the what-ifs. He's going to keep what-ifing God all the way till the end of time. God, what if this? God, what if this? God, what if this? What if we change this? What if we change that? 
When God says the way, the truth, and life has been laid out in the pages of Scripture and in the person of Jesus Christ. There are no more what-ifs. There are no more alternative plans. The plan has been laid at the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the way. There is no other way to truth and hope and peace in this life. But Satan pushes back. We come to chapter 2, he pushes back with more what-ifs. Satan comes out, well, what if the fence of protection around Job is changed again? What if we push that fence in further? Satan begins to challenge God and said, if you push that fence in further, Job is going to curse you to your face. And so God agrees to Satan's plan. Not because it's a good one, because, but because, again, it is going to prove that God is right and Satan is a fraud. And so God moves the fence of protection to the point of life and death. This is what we see in Job chapter 2, verse 6. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. And so Satan hits Job with everything that he has. But you listen to some of the symptoms. There's some, some symptoms are listed here in chapter 2. But what we're going to learn is you work this entire book and all the other chapters of Job, there, there's, there's all kinds of other symptoms that begin to show up too. And it's hard to know exactly what ailment Job is facing in these days. And it's likely that it's a multitude of things. It, it almost seems as if Satan hits Job with everything that he could that doesn't kill him. But I do want you to hear some of the, the symptoms that we see throughout the, the, these pages of Job is that, that first his skin, Job's skin begins to rot off of him. In fact, it says that he gets these darkened places all over his body and, and they just begin to fall off. His bones start to get weak. It says he has erupting pustules on his body. He has fever, he has depression, he has nightmares. He has this overwhelming itching. He has sores that worms are feasting on. Diarrhea, choking, bad breath, so on and so forth. And with all of those kinds of symptoms, he's stuck outside the city. He can't be around everybody else, but in fact it says he's out in the ash heap, alone with a broken piece of pottery. You know, remember, he was once the richest man in that whole region. He had a beautiful, healthy, happy, faithful family. And within an instant, it was gone. Most all of his wealth had evaporated. His children are dead. His servants are dead. And now he's sitting alone outside the town with nothing but a broken piece of pottery for comfort. Pretty incredible. In, in chapter 2, verse 10, it tells us that, that Job didn't sin in any of this. And if anybody had a right to run away from God and to chase after sin, it was Job in this moment. Instead of running away from God, instead of being different from God, he sits and scratches his terrible suffering, still refusing to curse God for this demonic circumstance. We do here in the, the next chapter, though, 
something that sounds a bit different. So in, in, in chapter two, it tells us Job did not sin, it did not sin with his lips. And then we move into chapter three and we hear this deep lament that Job is giving us before God. And it seems contrary. But this is what we see in chapter three, verse 11, why did I not die at birth? This is Job saying, death would be better than the existence I'm living right now. And he looks up to God, he says, God, you have the power of life and death, and God being the power of life and death, why are you letting me live? My life would have been better if you would have caused me to die coming out of my mother's womb. Or, or my life would have been better if you would have allowed me to die days before this pain came upon my life. And then continue on. So chapter 3, we get to verse 21 and 22. Who long for death, but there is none. They dig for it like hidden treasures and rejoice greatly and exalt when they find the grave. You see, this, this is Job here in his lament saying he's, he's longing for his own grave so that he could just walk straight into it. And then he could walk into his grave and they could just cover him with dirt and he could be done with it today. And look down at verse 23, he continues on. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? And this is, this is a, an important turn for he, us here. Because the fence looks different in the dark. Job now is trapped in this terrible illness. He, he asks... He says, is, is it God that has hedged me in? It is, is it God who has protected me and protected my life so that I can't die and death would be better than life? Why has God left me like this? Why has God protected me in such a way that my life is miserable but I cannot die? Why does God leave us in circumstances like this? Here, he feels trapped by God's protection. That when life is its darkest, it's hard to see that fence as anything else. Why won't God just let him die instead of protecting him in a broken world like this? It's interesting, really every commentary that I read this week as I was studying and preparing all went out of their way to say very emphatically, Job is not contemplating suicide here. And their point is, they wanted to distinguish between the fact that there, there are times in life where some people get to the point where they say and recognize, death for me would be better than life. So that's a different thought than saying, I am going to take my own life. And they are, and we do have to distinguish between those thoughts. But you can also see how sometimes we can get there from death for me would be better than life in that leading down a dark road towards suicidal thoughts. See, the reality is most of us will come to a point in our lives if we haven't already where we're faced with deep pain and we'll wonder if death is preferable to life. It happens, it happens often at the end of life when the quality of life is gone when quality is restricted, you're stuck in a bed and you wonder, would death be better? It happens in cancer patients facing chemo. We hear them say, wouldn't death be better than this treatment? Sometimes it happens and we hear it when there's tragic loss, the, the loss of a spouse or the loss of a child. 
And we wonder these same questions that, that Job is posing in lament before God. Would I not be better off dead than alive? Then we can, in solidarity with Job, re repeat these very same words that we find in chapter 3. And then occasionally, those sentiments go a step further into darkness. And there are times and there are ways when suicidal thoughts can creep in. And when that occurs, hope you know that we love you and that we want to listen, that we care about you deeply. And we hope we can, we can run and find the truth and hope of Scripture. That, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, created by a creator who loves you deeply, who knows you intimately, who cares about you so much that he knows the number of hairs on your head, and that God is offering you abundant help, that God will walk with you every second of every day. God is offering help in the Holy Spirit. God is offering you help in the church. God is, God is offering you help in his word. You see, what we learn as, as we open the pages of Scripture, what, what we learn is that this is, this is a real document. It's a real document of life. And this is what I mean, that, that pain is real. And we've seen this in Job. We've seen this in Jesus' life, that pain and suffering are brutally suffocating, but the Holy Spirit breathes new life into the people of God. And the promise of God is that he's going to walk through this deepening pain with you always. And that he's going to be the one to get you through. God has not abandoned you. And it doesn't matter what you're facing today. God has not abandoned you because you are his. He formed you in your mother's womb and will continue to nurture you as your heavenly father. See, one of the things that we need to know as those darkened, suicidal thoughts can creep into our mind. Is that you are His and that you are formed for a purpose. That you matter to God. That you matter to this church. That, that you matter to your friends and your family. All of which would be terribly devastated to lose you. In fact, it is important for us to know when we come to that, that darker side of those thoughts, so when we move past the wouldn't death be better than life, and those thoughts, if and when they begin to turn towards suicide, to know that you matter, to know that you need to act and talk to those that are around you. And the deeper that goes, it's important. You can call 911. You can call the suicide prevention hotline. Um, you, can, you can call this church. But you matter to God. You matter to your family. You matter to this church. You see, one of the, one of the beautiful aspects of our scriptures is that this, this book fully acknowledges that life is full of unbearable pain. There is no sugarcoating the story of Job. 
There's no easy way through the suffering of Jesus Christ that, that he felt at the cross. There's no easy way through the persecution that the church saw. These are real, but the gospel is powerful to overcome. And what we read in the, in the pages of scripture and what we know by experience in the Holy Spirit is that we are saved in the person of Jesus Christ who came to suffer so that we might be saved. And by the blood of Jesus Christ, we can be restored. Is it wherever you find yourself today, whatever guilt that you find yourself in, whatever shame that you have found yourself in, whatever darkness or trap or temptation, wherever we find ourselves today, God is one who restores and redeems in the person of Jesus Christ. There is no guilt or shame that is too far for the blood of Jesus Christ. See, you have a redeemer with unlimited resources, willing to fight with you and willing to fight for you. You see, that's where this book turns. As the suffering of Jesus Christ moves from the crucifixion to the resurrection, we find that our God is a God of life and one who restores life and will restore it abundantly. And so to each one of us, let us come to Jesus and be saved. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we love you, and we are grateful for your constant presence. But Lord, there are times where we feel alone, and there are times where this life is so devastatingly difficult, we just want to give up. And for each one of us, Lord, this morning we pray that you would reach down and touch our hearts so that we might be healed. Lord, would you shine the light of heaven on those dark spots in the corners of our minds? So those wayward thoughts might be revealed for what they are. And Lord, we pray this morning that we would experience and know your embrace as a loving Savior. Because Lord, we know that you are one who redeems. And Lord, we pray that, that, that knowledge would turn into experience and life. Lord, that your spirit would transform us and move us out of brokenness and heal our hearts so that we can know the glory of abundant life in the kingdom of God. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.